This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. QE, or quantitative easing, is a monetary tool used by central banks around the world to support their economies in times of crisis. It was one of the elements used by the Federal Reserve to get the U.S. through the Great Recession. It has been a tool used by the European Central Bank to aid countries in that region over the last few years to get through their economic troubles. But is it a tool that should be used again in the future? And what exactly was the impact from the significant use of QE during the Great Recession here? Here in the United States. Warden Professor Itai Goldstein joins me here in studio. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, you did a paper earlier this year looking back at the impact of the use of, of QE during the recession. What did you find out? So we found out some uh, very uh, interesting details. Uh, but, but basically, uh, to give you the highlight, it, it really depends on what assets you buy in QE. So, so the whole idea of QE is uh, you want to stimulate the economy. Uh, usually you do it with monetary policy, you reduce rates. Uh, but what central banks found themselves uh, in a situation recently in, in, in the crisis, uh, basically rates were already so low, they could not lower them anymore. So they started looking for other more innovative ways to stimulate the economy. And QE was uh, the highlight out of it. Instead of reducing rates, you're going to go out and buy assets. And this is how you want to stimulate markets. You want to encourage banks to do more lending and so on. Um, but but it really what we really found is that you know the devil is sometimes in in the detail in in the sense that it really matters what what you buy and and there are different effects for the different assets that 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 you buy. So when you're talking about these different assets, what exactly what are the elements in play here that that were actually being considered not only by the Federal Reserve but by banking institutions around the world? Because you also lay out the fact that you know in Japan it was the purchase of I believe equities. In, in other parts of the world, there were different elements. Elements at play. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, so, you know, in the U.S., basically what they bought was treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And those had very different effects, as, as I will mention in, in a second. Uh, you know, in, in Europe, they uh, experimented with corporate bonds. In Japan, they experimented with, with equity. So it's really different types of, of assets. Um, and, and I think that uh, buying mortgage-backed securities had really peculiar effects. And this is something I think that uh, central banks going forward want to watch before they design the next, the, the future rounds of it. So what were the impacts then eventually over the course of time? We did see more lending eventually occur right. here in the United States because of the amount of mortgage-backed securities being purchased by the by the Federal Reserve. Yes, yes. Uh, so, so, so basically what, what happened, I think the intended consequence of buying mortgage-backed securities was to encourage banks to give more loans in the real estate market. So basically encourage banks to give more mortgages. And I think th this was the intended consequence. What, what I think was the unintended intended consequence, and this is what we highlight in, in the research um, as, as I think the, the main result, is that there was also crowding out of other types of lending. Uh, so there was an unintended negative uh, effect, basically. So so you have banks, uh, and, and basically you tell them, okay, now as the government, I'm going to buy a lot of mortgage-backed securities. The automatic response for them is, wait, this gives me now an incentive to, to provide more mortgages, to, to lend more to the real estate market. And they do that. But then what happens is they have limited resources and they have to decide how to allocate the, the resources. And if they allocate more resources into real estate markets, they will allocate less resources into other things. Mm -hmm. And basically what we found is that 
those banks that increase the mortgage lending are reducing other types of lending, in particular lending to corporations. Uh, so uh, that could have negative consequences for firms who depend on banks to finance their operations that they would find it difficult to cope with. And so that had probably had an impact on, on things like business investment yes. over a course, of, a course of time. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so, so basically what, what, what you find is um, we have very detailed data uh, that basically allows us to look at banks, uh, what kind of lending banks are doing, what they specialize in. Uh, but then we can also connect banks to firms because banks have lending relationships with particular firms. And we can see whether those banks that are doing more mortgages are now doing less commercial and industrial loans. Mm -hmm. And then we can look at the firms that are connected to these banks and see whether these firms are investing less as a result. And indeed, we could verify this whole chain. Basically, banks who are more exposed to these MBS purchases, who are kind of in the business of securitizing and, and uh, originating uh, mortgages, uh, you know, they they would indeed respond by doing more mortgages, but those are exactly the banks that are now doing less commercial and industrial loans. And then firms that depend on these banks, that have long-term relationships with these banks, are investing less. So, so, so basically, there is a crowding out uh, effect. Uh, in, in effect, you know, when we think about monetary policy, we don't think about you want to stimulate one area of the economy. Mm -hmm. Usually monetary policy is supposed to stimulate everything, right? right when you right. hear policymakers talking about monetary policy, they say, we want to reduce rates, we want to buy assets because we think this will uh, increase economic activity. But what really happens here with this particular type of monetary policy that the Fed was doing is they, they were basically choosing what type uh, of uh, investments are, are going to be incentivized and, and promoted, and, and what kind of investments could potentially be compromised. And, and I think this is something that we need to take into account. Why do you think that that's so important to have that understanding moving forward? Especially, I would think, because of the fact that QE did provide a benefit to the U.S. economy back in 2007 and 08 in terms of building it out and whether or not we would see QE being used again if we were to have another significant crisis down the road. Right. Um, because I, I think that the focus on the housing market could be uh, problematic. Um, I, I think, I mean, I understand where this focus is, is coming from. Uh, obviously, the core of the crisis in 2007-2008 was uh, the decline in house prices and, and the fact that there was a whole collapse of uh, subprime mortgages and, and, and so on. So there was this attempt to revive the housing market and bring it back to, to usual. Uh, however, at the end of the day, uh, this is not where real economic activity happens. Uh, many people are using the housing market to, to speculate. Uh, sometimes you see bubbles forming in, in, in the housing market. And at the end of the day, to design a policy that will just stimulate invest, more investment in housing and more increases in housing prices could be problematic. I think that as central banks, as policymakers in general, what we may want to be more focused on is uh, corporate investments, because this is where real investment uh, that can develop the economy going further, this is where it happens. And here we basically identify a potential downside, right? If you, if you incentivize more investment in housing, you might be crowding out more investment in, 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 in the real economy, which, which I think is where long-term economic development could be coming from. How do you then compare what we saw here in the United States with what we've seen over the last several years in Europe with the use of, of QE? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Um, so I think that that's a that's a good question, and and uh, I think it's a multi-dimensional question because uh, th- there are other differences between the U.S. and, and Europe. I think one thing uh, about the U.S. that you can say in favor of the way that policymakers here acted is they did everything very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so they responded quickly. Uh, they did the quantitative easing quickly. Uh, they revived the banking system fairly quickly, and I think as a result, the overall consequences of the crisis were not as severe as in Europe. Uh, in in Europe, um, on the other hand, uh, they responded late. They did not help all all banks, uh, and and you can see that some of the problems are still lingering. Uh, so I'm I'm not going to try to advocate that we should take lessons from uh, from Europe uh, here. Uh, in in that sense, uh, because I I think at the end of the day uh, their policy was not as effective. Right. Uh, however, what I do think we we should think about is could we potentially make things here even even better, and 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 I do think that when you go out and design QE, um, you 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 may want to make it a bit more balanced, not necessarily just buying mortgage-backed securities, but if you are doing this potentially buying other assets that could also stimulate uh, lending mm-hmm. into into the corporate sector, into the into the real sector. We're joined here in studio by Itai Goldstein of the Wharton School talking about the idea of QE. So it is, it has QE then, I guess, become kind of a fallback that central banks will consider maybe at the top of their agenda now? Should we see a, an, another severe economic crisis uh, down the road? I think so. I think this is now part of the menu of, of tools that central banks will, will consider. I mean, monetary policy has changed dramatically in, in the last uh, decade. Uh, as, as I mentioned before, traditionally, we used to have these cycles, rates would go up. And then uh, as uh, economic activity slows down, you would start reducing rates and try to stimulate economic activity. And this is how you would like to moderate uh, business cycles and uh, reduce the impact of of recessions. Uh, What what we see now, which is very peculiar, is that rates have been low uh, for a very long time, even though economic activity has gone back uh, and and recovered following the, the crisis. But rates are still very low. Uh, now, everyone is asking themselves the following question. Suppose that there is another recession coming. What could central banks do? Uh, they don't have much flexibility to continue reducing rates. Right. Uh, rates are already very low. Yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to you before about negative rates, which yeah. is uh, indeed a, a possibility. Um, but even with negative rates, there is uh, some limit. You can't go too negative. You can right. go negative, but you can't go too negative. And you probably can only go, if you, if you were going to do that, you can only go for a certain period of time. Yes, right, yes. You cannot keep rates negative for a long time, and you cannot make them very negative. Well, and then the other thing that I think a lot of people forget is that, you know, we have interest rates now of around 2%, mm-hmm. but... If you go back in time, the interest rates were much higher. You know, traditionally, from a historical perspective, they they were higher. Yes. And yes. now you have President Trump calling, you know, made the call a few weeks back for, for negative interest rates. This is a unique dynamic that we're in play here in, in terms of our history and our economic policy in having these rates, what seemingly is going to be for an extended period of time of kind of in this window. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, r- rates are historically low and... Yes, and, and, and there is limit to how much more you can reduce them. So, so when central banks are looking at this, uh, you know, what they have to realize is they have really limited use of the, the rate as a tool 
to affect economic activity going forward. What they will have to do is they will have to continue using the other tools that they used during the Great Recession. And, uh, you know, one thing they did is to do forward guidance to basically, you know, instead of reducing rate, they kind of give all sorts of signals with all sorts of language to say this will be our policy for the uh, uh, long future. Um, but that also has a limited effect. And I think that the QE came up as kind of a very innovative tool to say, okay, when we are limited on rates, then we will start buying assets and this is how we can uh, stimulate uh, economic activity and stimulate markets. Um, and this is why I think QE is still very relevant. I think that yeah. going forward, as uh, difficulties will come, and, and they will they will come, central banks are going to continue and revisit this and think about how to do it. And this is why I think it's very important now that we have the data to go back and analyze how this policy worked in, in the past and, and what we should learn from it. If there had been more of a focus, and, and this might be crystal ball time here for you, if there had been more of a focus going back almost a decade on something like commercial and industrial lending, what potentially could have been the impact of having that more of a focus, a quicker bounce back in, in terms of the, uh, the growth of the country? I think so. I think potentially that could happen. It's very difficult to quantify that, yeah. um, but but I think that could have been a better outcome in that sense, that there will be uh, more investment and as a result, greater growth um, after, the, after the crisis. So why do you think th then that there wasn't more of a focus on that? Was it, and I guess when you're talking about trying to, to build mortgages back, you're looking at the people that are living in that country. You're trying to reach the consumer in general. You're not necessarily focusing as much on the business, on the on the infrastructure, on the business investment than uh, than you are, than you probably should be. Right. Yes. Absolutely. So, so, so I think there are two things that were going on. First, I think there was a great focus on the housing market because this was the core of the crisis. This is where it started, and there was this attempt to to bring it back. Um, but, but I think second, uh, and, and I think this is where our results are particularly interesting, I think there was this hope that if you do something to help the housing market, everything else will follow. So there will be positive spillovers from the yep. housing market to other parts of the economy. And, and you know, we, we have quotes from policymakers saying, you know, you're going to revive the housing market, house prices are going to go up. People are going to feel richer. They will spend more money. As a result, business activity will also improve, and everything will go in the same direction. And I think that our results here are particularly interesting, at least to me, because they basically show that it doesn't necessarily all go in the same direction. Right. Sometimes there is crowding out. If you go to banks and you give them these very clear incentives to originate more mortgages, securitize them, and so on... Um, you know, it doesn't mean that they will also at the same time do more commercial and industrial loans. They could reduce them. And, th and this is what, what we found. Have those questions been posed to, to people like Ben Bernanke and, and Janet Yellen uh, about obviously, you know, the decisions that were made during that, that window of time between like 2007 and 2009? Um, I, I think this particular question has not been posed to them as far as, far as I know. I, I think in general, there has been a lot of criticism on QE. Um, and a lot of people ask them a lot of questions about whether this was the right thing to do. And in general, I do think that doing QE was a positive thing because, you know, the recession was pretty bad. They had limited tools. And I think it did bring the, the economy back on track uh, to a large extent. Uh, but, but this idea of composition, I, I think, has not been thought of very, uh, very seriously. 
Um, and and I would be interested to 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 know what what is the response and if uh, go, going forward you want to think more about the composition. It's not just the amount of assets that you buy, but it it's also the composition. I think what ended up happening is the Fed instead of just doing monetary policy to some extent uh, started doing credit policy because it's not just uh, providing a boost to the economy. But it's also starting to take a stand on should there be more of this kind of lending versus the other kind of lending. And this is something that I, I, I think is a question that has to be posed. And the amount of debt at that time as well is also a factor in this also, correct? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, And, and I think that this is something that they had to confront uh, very seriously. I would imagine that, that, that yourself and, and other experts that have looked at this area, it's also looking at the long-term impact of, of having the several rounds of QE that we saw here in the United States and, and probably still some of the impacts that, that we see today, correct? Yes, that, that is true. Um, I think this research uh, you know, is, is, I would say, still being conducted. I'm not doing this myself. Uh, you know, Thinking about the long-term impact is more difficult because when you're looking something over longer horizons, you have to ask yourself the question, where is the effect coming from? There are so many other things that are changing over time that it's very difficult to say, you know, I did QE in 2008, and now in 2019, I see these effects because it could come from many other things. So, right. so you know, people are still thinking, how can we say more about the long-term impact of QE? Um, what, we do, what we did was to, to do a short-term effect, basically look at uh, QE in a particular uh, quarter what happened to the banks who are affected by this QE in the following quarter? And this is where we could uh, identify the, this crowding out. You know, the, the long-term impact, I think, is still a big question that has to be figured out. Right. And we're joined by Itai Goldstein here in studio. Now, going back to, we, we talked about the United States for a second, and we also talked about Europe. But the, the unique element in reading your paper was also of the fact that Japan decided to go with with equities, yes, and, and why they made that decision, right? Um, I think that that's a that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure what exactly they had in mind. I I think that could be that something along the lines of what I described, um, of of you know you want to think about what areas of the economy you want to give a boost to, and 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 this is the thing that they thought was the most appropriate thing to do. Now now you ha you have to remember that this could be highly problematic. I mean, you could imagine the Fed starting to buy corporate bonds of particular firms or equity of particular firms, I mean, the backlash coming out of this would, would also be pretty big. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not like these issues are without uh, controversy. I think there is a lot here to think about. I think the main thing that I wanted to, to point out is there is a downside in, in just targeting the housing market. I think at the time they thought that yeah, the housing market is more general, we are not really picking sides, and it will have positive spillovers to everything else. But I think what we point out is that this this is not really uh, the case. Are, are you still seeing impacts from the QA in, in our in our economy and in our growth here today in the United States? I, I believe so. I, I, again, I think it's it, generally it's difficult to, to say because a long uh, a long time has passed and it's very difficult to track these effects over a very long horizon. But but I do believe that in general uh, you still see it. I mean, one thing that that ha that we all have to remember is that uh, the the QE has not been uh, unwinded uh, yet uh, because the Fed is still uh, holding uh, a lot of assets. If you look at the balance sheet of the Fed in historical perspective, it's very different today than what it was, uh, say, 20 years ago. Um, so so that effect is is still there. 
Um, and you know, what one thing that that you you uh, probably notice is whenever the Fed says, "Okay, we are going to start uh, unwinding and 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 and, and reducing the assets yeah. on our balance sheet," the market immediately freaks out. So you know, part of the fact that the market right now is so high is the fact that these assets are still being held uh, by uh, the the Fed. Um, and and everyone kind of fears in the background that once the Fed unwinds it and and, and uh, sells all these assets, then the negative consequences for the market will be pretty big. And we could see a significant drop off. Yes. On on Wall Street, right? Which obviously would would not play well uh, for a lot of investors and and change some of the dynamics and what they would want to get into. Yes. yes great, great seeing you. Thank you yeah. for coming in. Yeah, Appreciate very it. Good Itai. seeing you. Thank you. Yes. Itai Goldstein from here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.